Welcome, listeners, to today's edition of News from the Drug Warfront, brought to you by CARMA, the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy. CARMA is a peer-based, community-controlled drug user organisation with over two decades serving the ACT's drug-using community. This show reports on and debates the deaths, misery, damage and serious harm which is caused by the prohibition of certain drugs that began on a global scale with the 1961 United Nations Single Convention on Narcotic Drugs. Sadly, these global policies remain largely unchanged and we acknowledge the efforts of peers and activists who have contributed to the struggle against the war on people who use drugs. This show aims to encourage debate and inform and educate listeners about the failure of prohibition. So welcome to the show. My name's David. I'm here replacing Geoffrey, who is unfortunately feeling unwell. And if you're listening, Geoffrey, I hope you're feeling better better. soon. Good morning. And I'm Marion. Yeah. Hi, Dave. Hello, Geoffrey. Hello, everybody. Hi, Mary. And hello, my next door neighbour. And wow, Karen, I guess, too. Good morning, everybody. It's not too bad outside, so. But nonetheless, stay in bed with your coffee and relax for an hour and a half and listen to news from the drug war front. We've got some good stories for you, and we're going to go through some a song first and yeah, foremost. This yeah, this is um, the Saints with Know Your Product. Excellent. Okay, that was the Saints and Know, know your, your Product. Know Your Product. A very good advice. Um, okay, so gang, you know, regular listeners will know that. Karma um, presents news from the drug war front um, and Karma also provides a wide range of services such as client advocacy, peer treatment support, education, creative arts, mentoring and referrals. The connection is Karma's peer-based drug and alcohol service for uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients. Both services are co-located in ch- at the Church's Centre, Belconnen, Shop 17, Level 154, Benjamin Way. The drop-in is open again and the hours are 10am to 4pm, Monday to Friday. The office phone number is 6253-3643. I'll give you that again. 6253 So Karma can assist people with a wide range of services and has done all over the period of Mm. while COVID was um, going and everyone was locked down, I might add. Opioid maintenance treatment and like methadone, buprenorphine and more recently the long-acting injectable forms of like Buvital and Sublocade, treatment for hepatitis C, the impact of stigma and discrimination. Yeah, we've actually got an interesting story. We have got an interesting story on that. I noticed that. Mm. Um, And the availability of detox and rehab services. In fact, all issues faced by people adversely impacted by prohibition and the war on people who use Mm. drugs. Yeah. And a particular case in point is people who struggle to keep custody of their own children, you know, simply because they happen to use drugs. And, um, you know, this is an area of advocacy that Karma hopes to get more into over the next year or two. Indeed, and we've got a project going now. Yeah. Yeah. So the contents of this particular news from the drug war front broadcast and or podcast don't necessarily reflect the views or policies of the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy, or CARMA. CARMA does not condone nor condemn drug use, and we do not promote illegal activity. However, we do recognise that drug use does happen. As such, Karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development. Karma seeks to reduce the harms associated with drug use as well as the harms associated with the criminalisation of drug use through the provision of empowering programs that concentrate on community development, person-centred holistic health care and equity of health service delivery for all people. Uh, Karma also networks with multiple other agencies in the ACT mm, too. So yeah. if you come to Karma for a service or you approach Karma for a yeah. particular service, Karma can't provide that service to you. It can direct you 
push you in the right direction or send you in mm. the right direction so you can get that yeah. service attended to mm. or your help. Yeah, particularly with things like legal issues because well, obviously we're absolutely. not we're And medical not issues, they can't so, provide yeah. medical mm. services as such. But can. Well, we do have a clinic there on Wednesday. That's but right. Yeah, I mean, we're, but that's we ourselves in, are not Yeah, and bringing in service providers to help yeah. on sports on site as well. Mm-hmm. So and yeah. networking with hepatitis ACT for the um so with for the uh, peer sorry, the double the double gain mm. um yeah. hepatitis C project that they've been doing in collaboration yeah. Yeah. with Hepatitis Australia. ACT, sorry. Yeah. Anyway, the first article is a national one which is um from Australia.net from November the sixteenth Australian drug law is doing more harm than good. This is by David McIlvain from The Independent Australia. It's 2021 and Australians are being subject to another daft police scare campaign on drugs. I won't publish any, I won't republish any of the Australian Federal Police's masterpiece ads here, released to coincide with Halloween. But to give you an idea, one ad after depicting a victim of meth addiction exhorts her and presumably anyone inclined to follow her example and ruin their lives with meth to, quote, have a conscience. It's about as tactful and meaningful as as warning an underpaid seasonal farm worker that absconding, like some runaway slave, may, quote, bring shame to your family's reputation and about as suited to the 21st century. Like the government's energy policies and the old Liberal Party in general, this stuff belongs to the Dark Ages. By that, I mean the 1980s and the 90s, when beacons of morality like Bill Clinton were still telling the world that drugs are bad, while notoriously rejecting a US Sentencing Commission Recommendation, eliminating the disparity between crack and powder cocaine sentences. This arbitrarily consigned many thousands of disadvantaged Americans to jail while Clinton famously claimed he didn't inhale (laughs) one trying cannabis as a college student, making him both pure and logistically consistent, I guess. Well, um, maybe just... Stupid or naive. Uh, or um, oh, yeah. naive yeah. to think that anyone would <clears throat> I mean, swallow that yeah. guff. Yeah, well, <laughs> gets up and says it in front of the world. So, hello, I'm an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't inhale. That, well, yeah, he didn't have sex either. Didn't have mm, sex with that no, woman either, did he? No, no. Funny about the dress that she's still got that's got yeah, a nasty <laughs> stain on the front of it. <laughs> Dr. Nicole Lee, anyway, the article goes on. Dr. Nicole Lee, professor at the National Drug Research Institute in Melbourne, that's NDRI, in Melbourne Curtin University, says the AFP campaign, quote, demonstrates a skewed and overly simplistic understanding of drug problems. It's superficial, inaccurate, and demonises people who use drugs. Suffice to say, anyone with any concern for people suffering from addiction and drug harm invariably symptoms of underlying emotional and psychological suffering, often in combination with difficult economic, social or living circumstances, dies a little inside each time these scare campaigns are rolled out. Now, the ads, of course, don't provide any insight in relation to addressing drug harm, but then I gather they weren't written by drug or health policy specialists. There's no mention in the ads of the social or economic ills that underlie drug addiction and addictive drug-seeking behaviour, and no mention of the obvious connection between our failed drug laws and the consequent funnelling of money to the black markets, which continue to thrive. Meanwhile, in contrast and in contradiction, thousands of Australians are still needlessly dying from one of the most harmful and certainly one of the most pervasive psychoactive drugs, alcohol or Mm. ethanol. Post-pandemic, it's easier to get access to this drug than ever before. In Queensland, for for instance, the COVID-19 Emergency Response Permanency Amendment Bill 2021 intends to make temporary COVID-19 measures permanent, such as changes to the Queensland Liquor Act, allowing cafes and restaurants to sell takeaway alcohol, including via online sales and delivery. Mm. 
Monash University has just received ethics approval for the world's first trial investigating psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy to treat generalised anxiety disorder, which is to be funded by the pharmaceutical development company Incanex Healthcare. The trial leader and head, head of clinical psychedelic research at Monash, Paul Lichnitsky, I hmm. think, <laughs> says, close. Um, this trial <laughs> is the first ever to test psilocybin for a primary anxiety disorder, the largest psychedelic study in Australia and the first research project ever approved to provide psilocybin with support as part of therapist training. So if you follow psychedelics research, this is actually some big news, okay. especially for Australia, which is simultaneously running the aforementioned drug scare campaign like some masterfully ironic 90 theme hip hipster who you can't quite decide to take seriously or not. That's interesting that they should bring that up because when I was doing psych nursing, Harry yep. Freeman was working at um, Broughton Hall and he was doing um, a trial therapy using LSD yep. as a psychosis for psychotic, psychotic right. patients yep. and seeing what kind of combination that might be. So mm -hmm. although it's the first trial for anxiety yep. drugs, it's not the first trial ever. In fact, mm -hmm. they used to do that trialling over in the States too. Yeah. For, mm. Anyway, I'll go, the article goes on. It's almost as if drugs aren't bad and instead need to be regulated with pragmatic and evidence-based policies that put the well-being and liberty of Australians first and the perpetuation of a stupid and patently wrong dogma that serves no one, save maybe the vested interests of the major parties and the Australian Hotels Association, for instance, last. The truth is, of course, our drug laws are bad and more than redundant. They are actively harmful and expensive. Judged by the rates of incarceration, court time, public and policing resources thrown into the bottomless sinkhole that is drug criminalisation, fortunately, most people nowadays can recognise this. Our drug laws aren't grounded in science or reason. They're a relic of the 1970s and the counter-counterculture of the neoliberal, not liberal, interests of the latter part of the 20th century. As someone who believes in the triumph of reason over si and science over dogma, I find our drug laws and the untruths they protect especially galling. Science, reason and the greatest good, the public interest, should be at the heart of our drug laws. They currently aren't. Well, how yeah, about yeah. that? If yep. that doesn't voice our um, the last five years at least mm. of our drug program, well, yep. you know, mm. nothing does. It really encapsulates it well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, well written. Mm. Yeah. Um, who was that? David McIlvain. From the Have you read much of his stuff, Dave? Have you? Um, no, no. I thought he writes occasionally for the Independent. Um, which I read occasionally, but yeah. um, no, I'm no, not really seems, familiar with him. It just seems pragmatic, sensible yeah. and something mm. that, you know, just plays right into the kind of stuff that we talk about regularly. Yeah. And uh, I'm surprised that I haven't heard more about him or more mm. of him. Yep. Okay, so we are going to have a song. Um, we're going to have some Black Sorrows. This is oh. Harley and Rose. <laughs> that okay. was uh, Black Sorrows with mm. Harley and Rose. You're yeah. listening to news from the w drug war front, brought to you by Karma and the Connection here on People Powered Radio 98.3 FM. And the time right now is just coming up to eight minutes to 11. Indeed it is. And we've got a next article which is called Monsters Under the Bed, Drug Stigma and the AFP. Ben Brooker, this is by Ben Brooker from the Overland, 15th of the 11th, 2021. During research for his forthcoming book on psychedelic drugs in Australia, the author, Ben Brooker, has come across some pretty lurid examples of anti-drug misinformation and propaganda. That's not a surprise, Dave, is it? You may have heard the one about psychedelic drugs causing people to look at the sun until they go blind or users believing 
they were an inanimate object for months after having dropped some acid. In Australia, newspaper reports of the 1960s and 70s, it was common for users of magic mushrooms and LSD to be referred to as addicts, despite available evidence that, if anything, psychedelics are anti-addictive, as attested by the fact that Bill Wilson, the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, wanted to, LSD therap- wanted to introduce LSD therapy into the organisation's recovery program. In the same outlets, psychedelics were often linked to a host of health outcomes, uh, from chromosomal defects to leukaemia, or rather illness outcomes, I would have said. You'd think psycho- pseudoscientific reportage, with its not uncommon invocations of racist and classist stereotypes, belong in the same cultural dustbins as unintentionally funny propaganda efforts, like 1936 exploitation classic Reefer Madness. I was just thinking of that one. (laughs) I could vision that woman not stepping off the... I saw that. That was our drug education in Year 12. Really? Absolutely. We were taken on that stand for the camera (laughs) to watch Reefer Madness and we laughed and we laughed. Yeah, it is really funny. It it is a hoot, absolutely. (laughs) Unintentionally, though. No. Um, And it was precisely this kind of nonsense. That yeah. came to mind when last week the author chanced upon the AFP's latest anti drug campaign. Here we are again. Yep. <laughs> a series of cigarette warning label style advertisements posted to the more than half a million followers of the AFP's Facebook page using Halloween as an extremely thin pretext for whipping up fear about methamphetamine, <laughs> cocaine, and heroin. Chasing the dragon. Asked the heroin ad, linking thieving addicts with rising insurance <laughs> premiums. You'll get burned and so will the wallets of Australians. In another, cocaine users are warned to get off the junk to protect your junk. Oh, no. A reference to the still contested impact of con- chronic cocaine use on male fertility. And in a classic piece of drug war hypocrisy, both ads implore readers to have a conscience simultaneously moralising the health and human rights issue of substance use disorder while failing to show empathy for people who use drugs problematically. However, the most egregious of the ads is the one targeting methamphetamine, which tellingly has drawn the most positive responses on the AFP's Facebook page as well as the most backlash on social media. The post reads... Australia seemingly has an insatiable appetite for ice, which can make users really violent and unpredictable. Accompanying before and after images of a meth addict, actually a composite, the AFP conceded, which is dreamed up by their forensics facial recognition team, is the following warning. Scared of monsters under the bed? Imagine thinking bugs are under the skin. While the face of a meth user may be horrifying, the ad proposes, we should be truly terrified by the thought of one behind the wheel of a car. Drug researcher Nicole Lee was not alone in suggesting the post was inspired less by evidence-based harm reduction strategies than the notorious American Faces of Meth and Montana Meth Project scare campaigns. The main consequence of these campaigns was to increase the stigmatisation of people with substance use disorders and deter them from seeking the help they need. Looking at the AFP's ham-fisted imitation with its cringy appeals to youth speak, Netflix and kill, be a lover, not a fighter, for instance, you could be forgiven for thinking the last 40 years hadn't happened. Since 1985, Australia's public approach to drugs has been officially centred on harm minimisation and grounded in a public health model. In this approach, according to the Department of Health's own website, alcohol and other drug use is viewed as the result of the the interaction between the individual, the social, economic and cultural and physical environment and the drug itself. None of this is reflected in the AFP ads, which recapitulate harmful anti-drug rhetoric or rhetoric of the past by characterising drug users as people who are a problem rather than people with one. 
The target audience is not invited to view substance use disorders as the result of complex interactions between cultural, socioeconomic and pharmacological factors, but as evidence of individual moral failure. For instance, have a conscience. The ads don't motivate the public to feel compassion towards people with substance use disorders, but, on the contrary, are designed to stoke fear and disgust, engaging our desire to blame and punish rather than empathise. Of course, under the so-called war on drugs, the police have a vested interest in making bogeymen out of drug users, who, we are told by the AFP, bankroll criminals who enslave women and destroy the environment and cause needles in the street, overdoses, pressures on frontline workers and grieving families. Each of the ads trumpets the efforts of law enforcement agencies to police the trafficking of drugs despite the minimal impact of arrests and seizures on drug crimes and harms. Yes, and the war on drugs, far from deterring organised crime, actually incentivises it. The reason criminal gangs that don't generally see alcohol as a way to make money is that its manufacture, sale and use are regulated. If we banned alcohol tomorrow, as happened in the US in the 1920s, a black market and all its attendant problems would spring up immediately. There's another irony here too. If the AFP were serious about reducing the damage caused by substance use, it would not be focusing on hard drugs, but on the much more prevalent alcohol, which topped the most recent Australian drug harms ranking study ahead of heroin and meth. Dave, we're probably not going to make it much further through this yeah, article before so the news better, comes on. Um, yeah, go so over to maybe the we'll news. do to the news and come to, back to it? Yep, I yep. think so. Because it's a good article. I don't think we should not read it, not do it, hey? Yeah, yeah. Makes some very good points. Yep. So we'll go over to the news, and on the other side of the news, we will be back with news from the drug war front. It's coming up to 11 o'clock here on People Powered Radio 2XX 98.3 FM. National Radio News. Hello, I'm Emily Minnie. Federal Labor says the government is being held to ransom by its own backbenchers and it's indicative of a fractured government. Yesterday, Liberal Senators Gerard Rennick and Alex Antic announced they'd abstain from voting in government support until the Prime Minister blocked state and territory vaccine mandates. Five coalition senators yesterday voted in favour of quashing the vaccine mandates. Lower House coalition MPs like George Christensen have also threatened to abstain from voting with the government. Labor frontbencher Jason Clare says the situation within the government is chaotic. In Parliament, nothing is happening. Nothing except chaos. Uh, the government is effectively being held hostage at the moment by a group of people who think getting the vaccine is just going to give you a better 5G reception. The federal government is under pressure to include the aged care workers on its immigration skilled occupation list to give the industry more staff. From December 1st, fully vaccinated skilled workers can come back into the country without a travel exemption. Registered nurses in aged care are considered skilled workers, but other employees aren't. Head of the Aged and Community Services Paul Sadler told the ABC including aged care workers across the entire sector could solve a range of staffing issues. Some aged care homes have been unable to admit new residents due to the inability to secure adequate numbers of skilled and experienced staff. So in that light, we've been calling on the federal government to take urgent action and one part of that is implementing a plan for foreign workers to fill vacancies on a short and long-term basis. South Australia has reopened to fully vaccinated travellers from New South Wales, Victoria and the ACT. Anyone wanting to travel will need to apply through the state government's website, which has already processed tens of thousands of applications. Infectious diseases expert Associate Professor Paul Griffin says there's no doubt COVID cases will begin to appear in South Australia. It won't be that we'll go from zero to a thousand cases overnight. It'll happen fairly slowly, I think, because we already have a relatively good vaccination rate. It's not where it needs to be, but it's obviously climbing. 
The Financial Services Minister says government and industries need to acknowledge that cryptocurrency isn't going away anytime soon. Jane Hume is pushing back against descriptions of the decentralised currency as a passing fad. She says it should be treated cautiously, but not fearfully. The technology underneath, that's not a fad, and I think that the Reserve Bank would agree. In fact, blockchain technology can be used for lots of different applications. A Melbourne man has been arrested over the disappearance of campers Russell Hill and Carol Clay in Victoria's rugged high country nearly 20 months ago. Victoria police say they arrested the 55-year-old man from Caroline Springs about 5.30pm yesterday. He is expected to be interviewed by detectives today and no charges have been laid. Mr Hill, aged 74, and 73-year-old Ms Clay were last heard from in March last year while camping in the Wanganata Valley in the Victorian Alps. In rugby, the Wallabies are set to challenge the red card send-off handed to Rob Valentini during the team's loss to Wales on their European tour. Valentini was controversially sent off early in Australia's one-point loss after a head clash with a Welsh opponent. 100 Test referee Nigel Owens has lent his support to the Wallabies, saying Ailes prop Gareth Thomas should have also been sent off for striking, but wasn't. National Radio News, produced by Charles Sturt University, the Community Radio Network, and supported by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. People Powered Radio. You're listening to People Powered Radio, and this is news from the drug war front, brought to you by Karma and the Connection, and the time is four minutes past 11. Before we went to the news, uh, we were reading an article that was written in Overland by Ben Brooker, that was titled Monsters Under the Bed, Drugs, Stigma and the AFP. Uh, and he was writing that the war on drugs, far from deterring organised crime, actually incentivises it. The reason criminal gangs don't generally see alcohol as a way to make money is that its manufacture, sale and use is regulated. If we banned alcohol tomorrow, as happened in the US in the 1920s, a black market and all its attendant problems would spring up immediately. Now, there's another irony here, too. If the AFP were serious about reducing the damage caused by substance use, it would be focusing not on hard drugs, but on the far more prevalent alcohol, which topped the most recent Australian Drug Harms ranking study ahead of heroin and methamphetamine. In the end, as Nicole Lee writes, even if you have a moral objection to drug use, making simplistic links between drug use and physical appearance, offending and other behaviours does nothing to stop people from using. In fact, there's evidence that scare campaigns like the AFPs can have the opposite effect to the one intended by making drugs seem more alluring. There's little doubt as to what does work. Factual education, harm reduction, such as pill testing and injection rooms, and treatment programs that offer evidence-based help rather than judgement. It's a sad indictment of Australia's approach to illicit drugs that the majority of the $1.7 billion per year that we spend fighting them still goes towards law enforcement instead of far more effective treatment and prevention strategies. It's a good thing that the general public's view of illicit drugs is much more sophisticated than that of the AFP and what the AFP would appear to give the public credit for. A majority of the population now supports harm reduction measures like pill testing and there's growing support for decriminalisation and even legalisation. Most Australians understand that, taking the, that the taking of illicit drugs, while still a mi minority activity, doesn't inevitably lead to a kind of crazed abandon depicted in films like Reefer Madness and, it's for, and is for the most part unaccompanied by significant individual or social harms. In Drug Use for Grown-Ups in 2021, Dr Carl Hart, himself a recreational user of heroin, notes that research shows repeatedly that substance use issues affect only 10 to 30% of those who use even the most stigmatised drugs such as heroin and methamphetamine. And for those who are affected, substance use disorders can be shattering, but increasing the shame and stigma as the AFP's outmoded and irresponsible campaign does, will only discourage people from seeking help when they need it and harden the hearts of other people towards them. Yeah, look, that's an excellent article and well worth doing the whole lot of, Dave. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that, by the way, was uh, Monsters Under the Beds, Drug Stigma and the AFP, and it was 
by Ben Brooker from the Overland or Overland, capital mm. O V E R L A N D, the yeah. 5th of the 11th, 21. Yeah. I just had a message from Jack and Peter who want to know where that stupid article came from. <laughs> okay. <laughs> where the interesting article came right. from. Yep. Um, so I just thought I'd say that. It's a, okay. That was an excellent article. Mm. Yeah, it was. Sorry to leave you alone while I. That's okay. Uh, we might go off to a song. Yeah. Um, this is Body Jar with 17 Years. Okay. Excellent. So that uh, article was uh, a, a really good way to start off a com- some more conversing about the rubbish that comes out of the mouths of the AFP and perhaps promote discussion. Um, among well, the reactions of the AFP next. Well, yeah, <laughs> showing loudly and clearly just how mm. clever they really are. Mm. And as we were saying off air, you know, encouraging people to question authority. Yeah. And as soon, and we said this last week too, Dave. Um, every time the AFP or government comes up with a statement like "just say no" or some of those bland. Um, one-liners that they've been talking, saying for years. Yeah. When young people find out that what they're being told is rubbish, mm. they tend to just question everything else that is being told to them. Yeah. Like you know, one toke on a on a um, on a bong, and yep. you're going to be addicted mm. to all drugs. Well, you know, yeah. if it doesn't happen, if mm. they go, well, that didn't happen, yeah. mm. then the rest anyway. The next article is uh, police presence at music festivals can lead to panic overdoses of drugs by Melissa Davies of The Guardian, 19th of the 11th of November. Police presence at music festivals leads some people to, quote, panic overdose in their attempt to avoid getting caught, an an Australian study has found, with experts calling for a change in policing culture at festivals. In the largest survey of its kind, researchers led by St Vincent's Clinical School at the University of New South Wales surveyed punters at six major music festivals in New South Wales between November 2019 and March 2020. The findings were published in the journal Drug and Alcohol Review on Friday. Participants completed an anonymous survey about their intended drug use and higher risk behaviours such as taking all of their drugs prior to entering the festival, known as pre-loading. Consuming two or more doses of MDMA at once, known as double dropping, higher risk alcohol use by consuming 11 or more standard drinks alongside illicit drug use and mixing stimulants. They were also asked about whether police and police dog presence had an effect on their decision to use drugs. Of the 1,229 survey participants, 372, or 30%, intended to use drugs or said they had already used that drugs that day. MDMA was the most commonly reported drug, with 77% of those who reported using drugs saying they'd used it that day or intended to. Other frequently reported drugs used included cocaine, cannabis, LSD or acid and ketamine. When it came to higher risk behaviours, of the 286 people using MDMA, 48% reported double dropping. Gender differences were significant, with men more than twice as likely to double drop than women. 82 or 22% of participants who responded yes to using drugs also reported high risk alcohol use. The researchers found a significant correlation between a fear of policing and preloading drugs. People who said police presence influenced their decision to take drugs were more than twice as likely to say they had preloaded. The study found, quote, this study heightens existing concerns regarding unintended harmful consequences of the policing of drug use at festivals. Now, in 2019, the New South Wales Deputy Coroner found high-visibility policing tactics such as drug dogs and strip searching at music festivals increased the risks associated with drugs. Mm. An author of the study and senior research fellow at the University of New South Wales, Dr Jonathan Brett, said, 
there's really a growing body of evidence now in Australia that police and police-style presence and security strategies at festivals is actually potentially really harmful. I really hope we can have a conversation not about removing police altogether, but potentially about a different approach to policing strategies that isn't just about criminalising drug users. Everyone wants people to be safer and healthier, so we need to discuss how we can best achieve that. No drug-related deaths were recorded at any of the six festivals that were covered in the study, though several attendees actually needed to be taken to hospital. Dr Brett said the presence of police was found through his study as well as previous studies to make people reluctant to seek medical help. The researchers concluded that as well as a changed approach to policing, more targeted education to prevent risky behaviours such as mixing substances is needed, as well as wider adoption of pill testing. None of the festivals included in the study had a field testing site. And they don't in New South Wales. And no. that's been one of the problems. It was a recommendation from yeah. the report that mm. was um, asked for by New South yeah. Wales government and Gladys just mm. ignored the recommendations that came out of yeah. it completely. Mm. And what's more, the people who hold the festivals have to pay for the police to attend there, even though they don't even actually they really don't want, want the police them, yeah. there. The police inflict themselves That's and then say, oh, you got to pay for it. How much do they pay for it? A fortune, I imagine. Well, there's going to be a lot fewer festivals being held in New South Wales well, until this changes. And that's the problem, and yet in Canberra, yeah. we can hold them and have pill testing on site. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. A senior lecturer in addiction at Edith Cowan University, Dr Stephen Bright, said not all policing is the same. He had conducted drugs research at festivals in Western Australia, Victoria and New South Wales and said there are differences in police approaches between the states. Dr Bright said, in Western Australia, the culture seems to be much more about community policing when they turn a blind eye to trivial substance use and essentially the main purpose for them being there is to make sure everyone's safe. In doing so, I feel at a Western Australian festival, people are much more likely to approach not only police services but other support services that are on site because there's no fear of them getting into trouble. They know that the police are actually there to help, not just there to prosecute them. Good point. Mm. It's interesting that that's what happens in Western Australia. We hadn't heard that before. No, I hadn't heard that before. But it, Mm. it kind of makes sense. Because they're so far over the other side of Australia that Mm. the adoption of their own tactics or their own strategies would make perfect sense. Mm. And keeping people alive ought to be a principal practice, an aim of policing, not keeping people criminal. Mm. Um, Anyway, the next article is opioid treatment study may impact future Australian guidelines by Matt Woodley from News GP from November the 10th. Results from a clinical trial of extended-release buprenorphine injections reveal high retention and treatment satisfaction. All study participants received monthly subcutaneous bup-XR injections for the treatment of opioid dependence. Recent research into extended-release buprenorphine injections, or BUPEXR, quote, could impact future Australian and international guidelines and health policy, the author of a new study suggests. Led by the National Drug and Alcohol Research Centre, or NDARC, the study assessed outcomes among people receiving 48 weeks of BUPEXR in diverse community healthcare settings, including primary care, across Australia. For the 100 participants who were mainly men, that's 72%, and had an average of 44 improvements, uh, were observed in quality of life, employment and treatment satisfaction measures. NDARC Professor, a director, sorry, NDARC Director Professor Michael Farrell said, quote, a major strength of this study is that the study sites reflected real-world community-based services, primarily consisting of publicly funded treatment services. Quote, the high retention and treatment satisfaction rates in this study demonstrate that further expansion of BUPEXR treatment can be incorporated well within the existing service system. These results may impact future Australian and international guidelines and health policy. 
and give more treatment options to people with opioid dependence. All participants had a long opioid agonist treatment or OAT history and were recruited from across a network of specialist public drug treatment services, primary care and some private practices in three states, all receiving monthly subcutaneous Bupexar injections for the treatment of opioid dependence. The dosing standard schedule involved two doses of 300 milligram Bupexar at baseline and month one. Thereafter, doses were flexible with 100 milligrams or 300 milligrams every 28 days based on clinical decisions between the participants and the treating doctors. Treatment retention at 24 and 48 weeks was 86% and 75% respectively. That's mm. pretty good, really. You know, yeah, but 75% at the end of a year. Yeah. Um, so the study also found that during treatment, there were declines in heroin use, non-prescribed opioid use and injecting drug use. According to Professor Farrell, although modest, these improvements are consistent with ongoing retention and stabilisation within a treatment program among a cohort of people who are already very treatment experienced. Mm. Very interesting term, that. It is, isn't it? <laughs> when buprenorphine was first added to the PBS in 2019, the chair of the Royal Australian College of General Practice Specific Interests Addiction Medicine, Dr Helster Wilson, told NewsGP that the listing could revolutionise the treatment of opioid dependency. Um, Dr. Wilson said, we've had methadone, which has been brilliant, and now we have buprenorphine, which has the advantage that it's a partial opioid agonist, making it better for people with respiratory illness or with any issues around overdose risk. My feeling is that this is a great change. It will give choice to patients and it means patients don't have to attend the pharmacies as often. Other reported benefits of Bupexar outlined in the findings include not having to travel for supervised and often daily dosing, the reduced experience of stigma and reducing negative rituals and habits associated with dosing. Mm. However, while the study showed positing outcomes for Bupexar, Professor Farrell said it is still crucial that um, opioid agonist treatment choice remains. He said, for some particularly those who ha already have flexibility in their OAT, this formulation may be less attractive. It's important to ensure the patient choice around which medications people receive in OAT are attained to ensure that the impact of choice on treatment outcomes is given full consideration in future planning and service change. Mm. I have a feeling that we did that article last week or okay. something similar. Right, but okay. But uh, nonetheless, it, it's worth... Um, it's worth repeating, and it's yeah. it's interesting that mm. um, Dr. Wilson says maintain the other varieties oh, yeah, yeah. of OAT. Don't mm. just get rid of it. And I don't know if you were listening, Dave, but I'd had a <clears throat> some feedback from um, one of the listeners who has a friend in uh, jail at the moment who yep. said that they've been the uh, diversion mm -hmm. of um, bup. Yeah. Subcutaneous bupe mm -hmm. in the prison system. Subcutaneous or sublingual. Subcutaneous, right. sorry, yeah. has been pretty horrendous. Learning oh, okay. that it's actually put in to, and it's actually, what did they, she say they did? They hated it or they hated the system, yeah. held it together under the skin, sliced mm -hmm. the skin, yeah. and pushed it out from underneath the skin. Right. And it's been leading to overdose yeah. deaths within the mm -hmm. prison system. Right. But to actually divert bup in mm -hmm. that way yeah. is pretty horrendous and mm. decidedly unhealthy. So yeah. I really mm. do not advocate that in any way, shape no. or form. And please, people, if that's what's happening in your jail, don't do it. Don't get it. Don't play silly buggers with it. Use it for what it's meant for. Yeah. And that is maintenance of opioid Injection reduction, yeah, yeah. to keep mm -hmm. you stabilised on yeah. an opioid agonist mm -hmm. antagonist. Yeah, it just worries me when I hear stuff like that. When that people will go to any lengths actually to yeah. get drugs 
particularly in the prison system. They will take some incredible risks, not only in the prison system, yeah. but definitely in the prison system where the hurdles are so high, mm. yeah, where yeah. actually getting hold of drugs becomes more and more difficult, but it just um, encourages people to become more and more creative yeah. in their methods of diverting so-called mm. treatment or opioid yeah. mm. substances. Anyway... Okay. We're going to go for another song, do we think? Yeah, we've got some um, Whitlam's. Uh, this is called Charlie Number 3. Okay, you're listening to News from the Drug Warfront, brought to you by Karma and the Connection here on People Powered Radio 2XX 98.3 FM, and the time is just coming up to half past 11. And if you feel like joining um, Public Power Radio 2XX, do get in touch with the office here and uh, think about subscribing. Yeah. Um, just by joining 2XX, you can support People Powered Radio, but also you can actually become a member of a community organisation that can teach you how to run a, a radio studio or you can volunteer mm-hmm. with 2XX but you can also have a voice um, yep. once you learn how to operate the machine and that's really important. And you get a number of discounts around the place you as do well. Too. Yep. Yep. Mm. So it's well worth um, joining and it's good to be able to present um, shows like ours yep. where you wouldn't mm-hmm. hear anywhere else yeah, on any other on commercial radio, radio station. Yep. Or, you know, even on... Um, ABC Radio. Indeed. Yep. Okay, so we're going overseas now. This uh, next story comes from Richard Winton in the Los Angeles Times. Prosecutors want to charge fentanyl drug dealers with murder, which is sparking a legal battle. Some Southern California district attorneys are joining a growing national push to file murder charges against drug dealers who manufacture or sell fentanyl that ends up leading to deaths. The efforts are part of a controversial move by authorities to target drug dealers who sell opioids laced with a deadly load of fentanyl, which is about 100 times more powerful than morphine. They have faced pushback from some in the legal community who say it amounts to prosecutorial overreach and goes beyond what the law allows. Now, Orange County District Attorney Todd Spitzer said on Tuesday, these are not overdoses, these are murders. These dealers are essentially handing a loaded gun to unsuspecting victims, knowing that they will probably die, and they don't care. Fentanyl is cheap, it's easy to get, and it's killing people who had no idea they were taking it. So under Spitzer's plan, those convicted of possession for the sale of heroin, cocaine or opiates that commonly contain fentanyl, will be warned of the deadly consequences of trafficking. They could then be charged with murder if they go on to sell to someone who dies. Prosecutors in Riverside and San Bernardino counties have also begun charging some dealers with homicide as officials in jurisdictions from Las Vegas to Maryland. Los Angeles County District Attorney George Gascon, who was Gas, yeah, Gascon, who was elected last year on a platform of criminal justice reform, does not support the efforts and has no plans to follow suit. An aide said, Alex Bastian, who's a special advisor to Gascon, said, "We've been down this road before. We know that increased penalties for drug offences don't save lives." Over the last three decades, as we increase penalties, drugs have become more potent, cheaper and easier to access. We need to learn from the failed strategies of the past in order to find solutions for the future. Good point. Martin Schwartz, Orange County's public defender, also rejected Spitzer's move as beyond the scope of the law, noting that California prosecutors tried but failed to get the California legislature to change the laws to make such charges possible. Quote, unless the legislature changes course, there continues to be no legal basis for the courts to allow this, he said. Loyola Law Professor Laurie Levison said that to gain murder convictions, prosecutors will have to show that the drug dealer consciously disregards human life. She said... If you put on notice that what you are doing puts people at risk, that sets in place the type of malice required to 
pr- prove second-degree murder. You're going to have to show that they knew the meth was laced with fentanyl. Meth with fentanyl, that's a strange combination, isn't it? Mm. However, California Department of Public Health preliminary data shows that California saw 3,857 deaths related to fentanyl to a fentanyl overdose in 2020, compared to 239 in 2016. Even two milligrams of the substance can be deadly. Celebrity deaths involving fentanyl have garnered attention, including comedian Fukan Johnson and two others who reportedly used cocaine containing fentanyl in LA's Venice uh, neighbourhood this summer. Federal prosecutors have filed more than a dozen cases against dealers where users suffered fatal overdoses. They secured a plea in the uh, 2018 death of rapper Mac Miller last month from one of of three men accused of supplying him drugs. Stephen Andrew Walter has agreed to be sentenced to 17 years on the charge of distributing counterfeit oxycodone pills with fentanyl. Spitzer said he was swayed in part by the stories of loss from parents like Amy Neville of Aliso Fiedio, whose 14-year-old son took a single pill he bought off Snapchat. Ms Neville said that, quote, Alexander perished from a single counterfeit pill containing fentanyl. He was just graduating middle school, armed with a skateboard with a very full life ahead of him. She said she found out later two others that two others also died from drugs supplied by the dealer, who also gave Alexander the pill. Riverside County District Attorney Mike Hestron has already filed seven murder cases involved, involving drugs laced with fentanyl. In one case, an Eastville, Eastvale man was charged with second-degree murder in February, with prosecutors alleging the defendant was aware of the danger but continued to sell the drugs known as M30 pills. Hestron told reporters, quote, We started a year ago putting together in-depth investigations to prosecute drug dealers for murder. So far we have seven cases and three more are about to be filed. I cannot tell you, sitting here, it's going to solve the problem. Every single community is facing a fentanyl crisis. It's time we wake up and take a stand for parents and people we represent. Quote, in Riverside County in 2016, there were two fentanyl-related deaths. This year, we're on a pace to have between 500 and 600 fentanyl-related deaths. The deaths are doubling every year. Fentanyl is so lethal, it's poisoning our community. Why don't they think about it from the sensible point of view is if they didn't have to be so down and dirty, dark and dirty, then they they might be be able to find out the potency of the pills. Mm. So Matt Capiluoto said his daughter Alexandra's death in Riverside County was determined to be an accidental overdose, but it was poisoning. Two days before Christmas in 2019, Alex bought what she thought was oxycodone from a dealer she found on Snapchat. He recalled, the pill she took was fake and filled with fatal and amount of fentanyl. My wife found her dead in the bedroom. Shortly after the horrible day, we learned three other young people in our community in 10 days had died in similar circumstances. Many more have died since. Earlier this year, Matt and other parents unsuccessfully tried to get state lawmakers to enact Alexandra's law, which would address implied malice for drug deaths similar to drunk driving deaths. Under the proposed law, a dealer of fentanyl would be warned of the danger and if they continue to sell and someone dies, he or she would be charged with murder. That's that's just crazy. And you mm. know the difficulty with that for me, Dave, is that every time they personalise it and they bring in a parent who mm-hmm. is grieving. Yeah. They inevitably name the law after mm-hmm. someone who has died, which further, you know, emotes yeah. the mm. argument or the yeah. discussion. Mm. And they keep increasing the debate yeah. with full-on mm. emotional content yeah. and mm. don't look at the practical side yeah. of it. Uh, don't you love the way the police 
<clears throat> turn children who die from drug overdoses into martyrs when oh, if they if they had survived, they, you know, yeah, they, they would they, they, they be criminals. criminals. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Mm. No, yeah. I agree. Anyway, time for some John Butler. Oh yeah. Yeah. So this is um, coffee, methadone, and cigarettes. <laughs> That was uh, John Butler with Coffee, Methadone and Cigarettes. You're mm-hmm. listening to news from the drug war front, brought to you by Karma and the Connection here on People Powered Radio, 2XX, 98.3 FM, and it is a quarter to 12. Mm, that's, um, that's about his dad, Dave, and it, it actually, <clears throat> because my era was the, um, the Vietnam era, yeah, the yeah. Vietnam conscription um, stopped, I think, two years or a year after I left high school because we changed governments and Whitlam was elected, uh, was voted in. And it just brings a lot home to me. There were so many people that I knew that went to Vietnam and came yeah. home with habits. Mm. Um, it was just the nature of the beast. Most people didn't know why they were there. Yeah. Most of the soldiers didn't know why they were there. The Yanks mm. didn't. They all went home with habits too, I might add, yeah. but they were all hooked mm. into treatment centres as soon as they got home before yeah. they even went to their parents' place. Mm. They were sent to treatment. Yeah. Didn't happen in Australia. Mm. Anyway. So uh, this next story comes from Annalise Valdez from the State Press in Phoenix, Arizona. The war on drugs is elitist and racist. Mm. Since the 1970s, the war on drugs has been raging rampantly across the US in the form of increased federal funding for agencies such as the DEA, which are cracking down on drugs in America. This governing has resulted in a multitude of federal laws against drug possession and usage, along with arrests and mass incarceration across the country. Now, fast forward to the 21st century and we've started to see the war on drugs for what it really is. A war on people in poverty and people of colour. The war on drugs is elitist, racist and has created nothing but an overcrowded prison population and has wasted massive amounts of money. I would have said it was also sexist and ageist, Jeff, in a lot of ways. Dave. Oh, Jeff, sorry, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. The war on drugs, the article goes on, the war on drugs is estimated to have cost the US over $1 trillion, American People of colour are disproportionately incarcerated for drug charges based on federal laws creating, created, uh, creating during the war on drugs, keeping poor people below the poverty line and keeping marginalised groups in the prison system. What this country needed to solve our apparent drug problem was never har- harsher punishment but has always been treatment and rehabilitation. The cost of criminalising drugs is particularly noticeable in Arizona. According to a 2018 report by uh, FWD.US, the prison population in this state is 12 times what it was 40 years ago, and the state's median length of stay in prison for distribution of dangerous drugs is four times the national average. A study from the PEW Charitable Trusts on uh, in 2018 found that increasing imprisonment did not decrease state's drug problems. Big surprise. The city of Phoenix has a population which is 43% Hispanic Latino and 7, 7% black, according to the US Census Bureau. These two groups are susceptible to being racially profiled for having or using drugs. The war on drugs and the recent legalisation of recreational marijuana in Arizona are prime examples of the racism in this idly disguised way of incarcerating marginalised people. Joseph DePinto, a faculty associate with the Watts College of Public Service and Community Solutions, says, quote, we didn't learn anything from prohibition that you cannot regulate what people do in their private lives. Now, the whole war on drugs, that were, uh, they, they were going after suppliers and users, but who, up, who ends up getting the most penalties? It's the users. And, unfortunately, lots of times it's from disadvantaged groups and people of colour. Records related to drug use and other drug charges affect people's ability to find housing and to apply for jobs, which can prevent them from having a successful future. 
in the state of Arizona, which has the fourth largest imprisonment rate in the entire US, hundreds of thousands of people are now able to expunge their records of minor offences related to marijuana, thanks to Proposition 207. Keith Frankel, the former Justice of the Peace from the San Marcos Justice Court, says, hanging out in downtown Tempe, you really didn't notice a disproportionate number of minorities getting cited. Now, if you went down to the downtown corridor, South McDowell, West McDowell, you look at who's getting cited for what types of crime, you might find a demographic difference. But according to a 2013 report by the ACLU, black people were 3.7 times more likely to be arrested for possession of marijuana than white people, despite the fact that black and white people use marijuana at similar rates. While there is no single or sure way for individuals to stop the war on drugs, there are actions people can take to push us in the right direction. Voting for politicians with an agenda of ending the war on drugs, signing petitions to help people wrongly incarcerated for using drugs and funding treatment for those who need rehabilitation instead of incarceration. De Pinto concludes, why do we have to spend time and money doing something that doesn't really affect anybody else? I'm not minimising that people have drug problems. I spent many years working in addiction, and we need, but we need to spend time with treatment instead of immediately just locking them up. That's a really good point, and one we make regularly. What mm. people do privately is actually a moral issue, and it's about whether you approve of intoxication or not. Yeah. Anyway, the next article, the last article for today, and it's actually one that I'm quite pleased to read to you because it keeps us up to date on what's happening to President Duterte in yeah. the uh, <laughs> notable Philippines. International Rights Group urges the International uh, Crime Com Commission to resume probe... Crim on International Duterte's Criminal Court. International Criminal Court, of course, it's got to <laughs> yeah. be something wrong with me. Okay, Duterte's drug war. So this is from Zachariah and Soraya from the Inquirer on the 21th of the 11th, 2021. An international human rights group is urging the International Criminal Court, the ICC, to proceed with its investigation into President Rodrigo Duterte's drug war and his alleged crimes against humanity, calling the probe suspension a betrayal of witnesses and victims of the alleged abuses. In a statement on Saturday, ICC, the International Coalition for Human Rights in the Philippines, the ICHRP, Chairman Peter Murphy expressed the organisation's, quote, extreme disappointment in the ICC after it suspended its investigation into the Duterte government's alleged crimes, even despite cre credible evidence pointing to crimes against humanity being committed. Murphy said, quote, any suspension or delay is an absolute betrayal of those brave individuals who came forward at great personal risk to provide evidence and testimony regarding those alleged crime, these alleged crimes. This came after ICC Chief Prosecutor Karim Khan told the pre-trial chamber of the ICC, the body which authorised his investigation in September, that he had, quote, temporarily suspended the probe after, excuse me, the Philippines requested the ICC defer to its government's own investigation of the alleged crimes. Justice delayed well, well, is just... Don't you investigate us. No, We're no, investigating yeah, ourselves yeah. now. We'll now, do yeah. it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But justice delayed <laughs> is justice denied, is it not? Mm -hmm. Quote, any suspension or delay is an absolute betrayal of those brave individuals who came well, forward at great that. personal <laughs> risks. Just said it, mm -hmm. didn't I? Yeah. It was before. So this it's came true. after the ICC Chief Prosecutor, Karim. Oh, we've already had that we as well. We did that too. However, yeah. Murphy, we haven't had that before. Uh, however, Murphy revealed that the findings of the first... First and second reports of the Independent International Commission of Investigation to Human Rights Violations in the Philippines already clearly showed the flaws and failure of the domestic remedies that now claim to be operating. 
He also noted that the Philippines has only convicted two police officers out of the 6,011 cases officially recorded up to the end of 2020. Yeah, so let them do themselves. They'll obviously come up with the goods, won't they? Mm, yeah. Of the two convictions, Murphy said the case of the 17-year-old Kian de los Santos only succeeded because the barangay, barangay captain had failed to switch off the closed-circuit TV camera, <laughs> which recorded the abduction of De Los Santos by police officers. <laughs> Shooting themselves in the mm, foot. Yeah. yeah. Murphy also dismissed claims made by the Philippine <coughs> government that thousands of drug war victims were killed by police officers in self-defence after Investigate PH presented forensic evidence to the ICC that showed the victims sustaining defensive wounds and of victims who were tied up before being killed. <sighs> Murphy said the ICC needs to restart its investigation of all the evidence it has before it and give justice to the tens, and thousands, tens of thousands of Filipinos who were murdered at present Duterte's repeated incitement. Mm -hmm. The ICHRP has full confidence in the impartiality of the ICC. Yeah. We reiterate that the ICC should heed the call of these families to fully investigate the Duterte administration for these crimes against humanity so that, finally, justice may be served and impunity ended. Meanwhile, despite requesting to defer the probe, um, Malakanang maintained on Saturday that the Hague Base Court has no jurisdiction over the Filipino government. Not now, but they did have before mm. they, before 2019. Yep. And that's just obscene. Although, I've got to say, Jeffrey, uh, Dave, their, um, their data recently has... Mm -hmm absolutely decreased after the first six months of the Duterte regime. Yep. They had counted 7,000 murders mm -hmm. that were undertaken by either Duterte himself when he was the mayor of Maneo yep. um, or by police in mm. um, the in Manila. Yeah. Um, and it didn't increase over time. Yeah. It didn't seem mm -hmm. to increase at all. And yet we know there were more people being killed. Yeah. They just did not release any increase mm. in the figures. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, so yeah. we know about what's going on mm -hmm. with Duterte. And the only thing we can say is at least he can't stand again for presidency. The yeah. major problem will be is that either his daughter mm -hmm. or what's that boxer's name? That's going oh, to stand. Manny Pacquiao, isn't it? Manny, yep. Yeah. And that he's likely going to stand for president and mm -hmm. uh, Duterte is going to um, back him. Yep. I suspect. But let's hope that people are not sucked in in the way mm. that they were before by his popularity, personal popularity. Yeah. Mm. Because that was that's nauseating. Yep. Along the lines of uh, Donald Trump and... You know, yeah. all those Jeff personally Bolsonaro popular idiots. Yeah. Victor Orban. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it for another yeah, episode of it. News from the Drug War Front. Thank you very much, Marion. And thank you, Dave, for coming in and looking after the chair and making sure that uh, we didn't get off Bro air. Yeah, broadcast an hour and a half of and absolute white silence. Noise, yeah. <laughs> that could have been a real problem. Thank you very much. And look after yourself, listeners. Keep each other safe. Yep. Um, we love you and we want you to be back next week to hear what we have to say. Um, the annual general meeting of um, Karma yep. is on next week. That's right, um, on Monday. And also coming up, I think, is uh, 16, day, 16 ways to act. Is it the... Um, uh, the international, I haven't got my calendar here, but I'm pretty sure, um, mm, pretty the International sure Drug Users Day is Nat coming up on Natalie, the 3rd. Natasha will yeah. tell me what it is. Mm. Yeah, and there's 16, it's Women Against uh, Violence oh, okay. and Drugs. Remember, yeah. it's the 16 ways to, mm -hmm. uh, I think there's a theme, 16 ways to change things yeah. this year. Anyway, I look forward to that and I know Natasha will let us know what's mm -hmm. going on. So look after yourselves. Yep. And we will talk to you next week, whether it's Dave or Jeff. Okay. Okay. Look after yourself. Bye. Bye, everyone.